1: Show and a safe space for USMNT fans who are still smarting a little bit from getting dosiceroed in Hamilton. Very sorry about that, guys. Taylor Rockwell and Joe Larry of this parish went in-depth on the USMNT a little earlier in the feed, and here we're going to be focusing our energies on the big jamboree in Cameroon over the weekend, the Africa Cup of Nations quarterfinals. My name's Ryan Bailey, and joining me here to discuss Mo Salah's big semi is Graham Ruthven.
2: Oh oh wow. Okay. What what an intro. How do I move it on from that? Yes, he was uh He's got he's he's got a semi-final to look forward to, Ryan Bailey and and uh, Afcon. Yes, that's what we were talking about there.
1: That's exactly what I was referring to. Yes, most last Egypt booked into the Afcon semi-finals after victory over Morocco. Graham, we had the um, all those games. We're going to go and take a look through over the next hour or so. Graham, this tournament's had its hindrances. It's had its moments of farce. Mm-hmm. A notable tragedy, of course. Yeah. Um. But I would argue it's been getting better and better on the field, and certain teams have been upping their game as well. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, it, as we've said before, it started off pretty slowly, and then it, the the drama seemed to kick in around the the latter matches of the, of the group stages. And I think what you're seeing now are just are just good teams. Um, maybe with with one exception, which we'll talk about later in the in the quarterfinals. I felt like Gambia maybe it was one match too too many for them in this tournament. But especially going into the semi-finals, I feel like we have got four good teams who with a you know they're entitled to feel like they can go all the way that's that's how good they are the the four teams that are left in this this tournament oh.
1: I thought it might be Morocco who were going to be the disappointed team to which you were referring, Graham. But we shall get to that shortly. We do have lots to talk about on this show, Graham. But before we get to the uh, the stuff happening in Africa or has happened in Africa over the weekend, um, we are recording on transfer deadline date. We are in the middle of it right now, so stuff may have happened by the time you listen to this, dear listener. Um, but I would suggest Graham that the best deal of the day has already gone through. We learned early this morning that Christian Eriksen has made a move to Brentford seven months after cardiac arrest on the field. In Denmark at Euro twenty twenty. He's got a six-month deal there. This one made me smile, Graham.
2: I thought you were referring to Veg Veghorst going to Burnley, which is the oh, most that Burnley signing of all time. Um mm-hmm. but yes, absolutely. This is the, the Christian Erickson to, to Brentford is is a feel-good story. Obviously, Eriksen's life, never mind his, his football career, looked to be in in jeopardy last summer, and now he's back in the Premier League. And I think it's gonna be very interesting to see how he how he does at Brentford. Of course, there's the the Danish link there, you know, Thomas Frank is Danish, there's a number of Danish players at the club. The Brentford owner also owns FC Micheland in, in, in Denmark. But I also think it's an interesting move from how Brentford clearly want Ericsson to give them something a little bit different. Um mm. we've spoken glowingly about Brentford this season, number a number of people have. They started strongly, but there's a sense they're kinda getting figured out a little bit, and I, th- I think Ericsson is almost a wild card for them who can kind of create something out of nothing and make them a little bit unpredictable again. So I think in, in every sense, from a, a a human perspective, obviously everything that Ericsson has gone through, uh, and also from a footballing perspective, it's a very interesting and notable transfer.
1: Very notable indeed. He's going to get a wonderful reception up and down the land, I would hope, Graham. And as you mentioned there, Burnley, um, uh, they do need some Ws on the board, and they've got two in Valt Weghorst, uh <laughs> coming, coming <laughs> over as well. He seems like a Chris Wood continental upgrade, maybe?
2: Yeah, it, it's a funny one, because obviously... I would argue maybe Veghorst has a better reputation than Chris Wood. so maybe they no. have pocketed 3 million there because obviously Chris Wood went to Newcastle, I believe for 50 million. They've, and Burnley paid 12 million for Veghorst, pocketed 3 million, ended up with a, a better player. And I um, this isn't in my research, so I'm flying a little bit here, but I think Burnley have Newcastle on the final day of the season. So oh. if uh, the narrative gods are uh, worth anything, then Veghorst is going to score a winner on the last day of the season to send Newcastle to the championship. That, that just has to happen. Yeah, Newcastle making some deals. It seems they're not
1: quite done with their business, as we recall, Graham, so perhaps we won't speculate on them. But uh, something else I did want to talk about before we moved on to AFCOM is Frank Lampard uh, mm-hmm. returning to management after um, after his uh, Chelsea exit. Uh, he's taking over Everton, who are 16th in the Premier League, four points above the drop zone. He's got a two-and-a-half-year deal there. It seems like Everton, they couldn't get the current derby manager, so they went for a former one, Graham. <laughs>
2: That's true. I hadn't uh, hadn't put those two things together, but yes, that's right. Maybe they had Derby County on the Football Manager filter as they were searching <laughs> through some some managerial candidates. This this is a funny one for me. Um after one season at Derby and two seasons at Chelsea, I have to be perfectly honest, no idea if Frank Lampard is a good coach or not. I think he did some good things at Chelsea. I think he did some bad things at Chelsea. And I think the, the best thing he did was bring through so many young players. And if he can do that at Everton, I think that could be really valuable because that could solve a lot of the problems that they're having. You know, they're spending too much in the transfer market on big club, big club cast offs. They need to reestablish the link between the, the club and, and the fans who are very, very unhappy with how that club's been run. So I think Academy players would help do that. However, Everton are facing a relegation battle. That's a real thing. That's, they're 16th. They've got some diff- games against teams uh, around them in the table coming up. They could really get sucked in there over the next couple of weeks. And I think they need some structure. They need to be some more solid at the back. And those are not things I necessarily associate with Frank Lampard. So right. that I, I'm not totally convinced it's the, the right fit. But as I say, I, I, it's almost like a clean slate in my mind with Lampard because I, I don't know whether he's a good coach or not. So... Prove me wrong, I say, Frank. That's the thing.
1: This does seem like a real roll of the dice for Everton, doesn't it? He he conceded 54 goals in his first season as Chelsea manager. Um, you know, when he left that Chelsea team, they immediately went and won the Champions League, uh, which doesn't yeah. speak too kindly to him. And, you know, he's, as you say, he's probably got a big point to prove here, maybe about his man management. He's supposed to be this incredible man manager. We'll see how that pans out at a team like Everton. And his tactical nous and his defensive capabilities, Graham. I, I just think like they've, they've really rolled the dice hard on this one, and I, I'll be, I'll be yeah. surprised if it works out, Graham.
2: And how's he going to handle Mason Mount not being willing to join him at Everton? That is going to be <laughs> a big blow. Not to have his, <laughs> uh, not to have the teacher's pet with him at his new club. Oh boy,
1: oh boy. Well, they do like throwing money at things, Everton. So we'll see. There are a few hours left in this window, Graham, as we record. But I doubt that one will yeah. come through. 200
2: million bid made for uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek before the <laughs> deadline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, and I think he's moving some of his backroom staff over
1: as well. So we shall see how that one pans out with Everton. Uh, Graham, one other story we... Have to, I'm afraid, touch on before we move on to AFCON. Mason Greenwood is in custody uh, after yesterday being arrested on suspicion of rape and assault. Uh, the Man United forward spent the night in a police cell after police um, came in over allegations which came to light over the weekend. Uh, the Manchester United uh, supporters club and I believe Manchester United themselves have now confirmed that Greenwood will not return to training or play matches until further notice. We're not going to comment any more on that one at this point. Afcon Graham. Why don't we start off with the uh the first game of the weekend which we enjoyed, Gambia nil Cameroon 2. The hosts here, the Indomitable Lions, going through to the semis. A potentially historic win on home soil is just two games away now. This is a big one, Graham. This is their first time hosting this tournament in 50 years, 1972. Wow, 1972 is 50 years ago. Goodness me, time flies. Um, they they, they finished third. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't alive then, I'm just saying. I saw a post, there's something like, it, it was a long, it's, you know, that... 1972, if you go 50 years back from that and you you see it was 50 years to today, you know, 1922, that's... The, the oh, things don't that do that, Ryan. Yeah, don't scary. do that. Those, it's those scary social posts that I'm referring to there, Graham, that we see. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> 1972, last time they hosted it, uh, they were stripped of this tournament hosting in 2019 when the stadiums weren't ready. Uh, they last won in 2017. They are five-time champions. Uh, Graham, of course, this game took place um, in the shadow of Monday's tragedy at the Stade Olembé. Uh, mm. um, there was a minute silence observed here. I have to say, Graham, we did talk about this in in our um, round of 16 roundup, the Alembe tragedy. And uh, there has been a minute silence in this game, but I don't feel like the response has been as empathetic to this disaster as I would like. I'm seeing a lot of finger pointing. Um, not much was cancelled out of respect. CAF um, actually have announced they lifted the ban on Alembe Stadium being used in yeah. the final. So it's going to be used in the final again, this stadium. Uh, there were extra police, uh, camera authorities placed 250 extra police officers at the stadium for this, this quarterfinal we're referring to here and extra officials in the stadium as well. But do you get what I'm saying about the the slight lack of empathy? It's, it's been quite
2: puzzling to me, Graham. No, absolutely. I totally get that. And and in particular, the fact that the stadium is going to be used again in, in the tournament um, doesn't sit well with me at all. I mean, that is no time at all to, to do a, a thorough investigation of, of what happened, to bring in new measures to ensure that it doesn't happen again we're talking about what two two weeks between a tragedy where eight people died and then a a final of a tournament being hosted at the same stadium that that doesn't sit well with me at all and i and i get what you mean just generally about the lack of empathy as well it feels like it's very much just been brushed under the carpet this this tournament has i'm not necessarily saying the tournament should be should have been um postponed or abandoned or anything like that but as, as you say besides a, a minute silence um there's not there's not much sort of presence of of what happened um either either a public presence or just in the analysis as well um and so i'm, I'm glad i feel like we have a, a duty to sort of bring it up yeah. right at the top of the show because it feels like not many people are doing that and, if, and i feel like that's a little bit wrong Quite right, Graham. Um, well, Cameroon have moved on
1: with a tuna win over at the Gambia, as we say. Uh, um, they were the lowest-ranked tournament uh, team of the tournament were Gambia, Graham. They've been on an amazing run here, mm-hmm. um, beating Tunisia in the group stages and getting through to round of 16 as well. They should be very proud of getting this far, but as you inferred in the intro, they probably didn't deserve much from this
2: one. No, not at all. That, as I said um, previously, this, this was a game too far for, for the Gambia they were quite simply and i will go into more depth but they they were quite simply beaten by a a better team um we all we always knew that cameron would would see more of the ball here they would create more opportunities but the gambia they just weren't able to make any sort of impression on this match at all i thought gambia left too much space between the the defence and the midfield which allowed cameron to to stride into that space time and time again they were they were getting shots away. They were creating overloads. They were playing it out to the wing under very little pressure. It was it was just all a bit easy for for Cameroon. And I think you you look at the the uh, the opener, the the first goal, and uh, Gambia just give Collins five far too much space, time and space to get the cross into the box. And this wasn't an isolated isolated instance either because. Abubakar had had a, a similar glancing header flash-wide not long before when Cameron had too much time to get the delivery into the middle. And then there was another header as well, which is saved by the goalkeeper from, from close range. And I don't know whether fatigue was a factor for the Gambia, but it, it, it just felt like, as I say, it was one, one game too far. They have been a, a great story, but they were outplayed pretty comprehensively here.
1: They were indeed. I should have
2: mentioned that both goals came
1: here from uh, Takawa Kambi here, and, Cam- uh, and gambia are very much caught out at the back for both of those goals as well. Um, what did you make of Cameroon in this one? I-, I thought, you know, Abubakar was excellent, as we have seen him in previous mm. games, creating a ton of chances. Uh, I think he nearly brought Cameroon ahead with like this bullet header. Um, yeah. He should have made it 3-0 at the end when, he, um, when-, when the keeper hoofed it downfield and it got on the end of it. Um, he- he's been... A, a real presence for me in this team.
2: He has, and and together with uh Akambi as well, I think I, I read that every single goal that Cameroon have scored at this tournament has been scored by those two players, wow. which is uh is it eleven goals in total, I think it is. But yeah, it's, it's they are they are quite a formidable for formidable uh to some in, in attack and I've I've said this before when when speaking about Cameroon that I am a big fan of um Akambi. Abubakar's maybe someone that I haven't watched as, as much of, but it can be I've watched loads lo- loads about it. And um one of the things that I've I've liked about his performances at this tournament is he's making a real effort to get into goal scoring positions, which is maybe not something you would necessarily associate with him. Keep in mind that he does primarily play off the off the left side. That's where he plays for Leon. That's where I remember remember him playing for Villarreal as well in the past. And he is a left-sided attacker on paper for Cameroon, but they are pushing him into central positions, and obviously that is that's clear in the way that he, um, you know, he scores the two goals in this game, particularly the the second goal when he gets on the end of a low cross inside the six six-yard box. So I like how Cameroon are getting him into positions. Abubakar is maybe he's playing as you would expect him to as the mm. focal point of the attack. That's not me. Doing down what he's what he's doing, you know he's playing very well, but he's maybe he's maybe playing to type, whereas a is performing a slightly different role to the one that we're used to seeing from him. And I think when you couple that threat that they have an attack with this midfield that I liked in this game, a key fit, uh, feature of this Cameron performance was their use of a midfield block of four. So they stretch from left to right of the pitch and they moved very impressively in unison. There was a lot of cohesion between those, those those four players, that unit of four tended to be Anguissa, Guet, uh, Naya, Namalea, sorry, uh, uh, that name uh, is difficult for me, and then one of the centre-backs, depending on on which one was bringing the ball out from the back. So in possession, they were basically used as a... It, I likened it to a, a big brush, and so Cameron <laughs> just moved it further and further up the pitch, and sometimes it moved quite slowly, but it suffocated Gambia, and it just meant... In possession, they were they had this four this block of four right across the pitch. They moved it up slowly, suffocating Gambia, and then out of possession, it just meant Gambia had very little space to exploit, and they were they were closing up those spaces before they even appeared. And I thought it worked very well for Cameroon. And, and if the plan for them is to use that midfield four, that central four, to give themselves a platform for the front two of a car and, and a Camby, then it's working well. And and in tournament football, things like that. You know, that might be, seem quite simplistic, but it can get you far in tournaments like this. And, and uh, yeah, I liked what I saw there.
1: So has Antonio Conceição, the Cameroon coach, invented the sweeper midfield then, Graham, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a yeah. foosball table. They're, they're all on the same um, uh, pole moving exactly. back and forth across the field.
2: Yeah, and I know, and I know, obviously you're you're very much joking there, but watching watching it, it it did almost look like they were all in a straight line, as if they could have been on a foosball table attached by (laughs) the same pole, uh, just getting moved up, moved forward, and moved back depending on the situation.
1: Yeah, and as I said, I think this is the best performance from Cameroon so far. They are creating more; they're looking a bit more convincing. Certainly, after sort of labouring a bit past uh, Comoros previously, and didn't set the group stage alive I would suggest and um, I suppose the other thing I noticed Graham was the use of fullbacks here with uh was Collins Fire getting the assist for the first goal as you mentioned and uh Mr Nuhu on yep. left back creating a bunch of good chances as well so they are they're, they're they're quite what's the word I'm looking for is it dynamic going forward I think that's it yeah
2: they, they certainly were in this game I think part of that was just because the Gambia couldn't get out at all and so it gets to a point where you think, well, we might as well put our full backs up to, to create a little bit of, of width. I hadn't seen them play with so much width before this this game, certainly in terms of getting deliveries into the box. And it did get to a point where that's what I'm saying with sort of a canby You know, he starts as one of the the wide attackers here, but maybe just as a feature of Cameroon having so much of the play, they're able to get the fullbacks up. They're now the ones putting the ball into the box rather than a cambi, and a cambi is getting told, right, well you get in the middle then and we'll just flood the box with with players, which is what Cameroon did a lot of the time. The number of opportunities they had getting on the end of crosses. So um I'll be interested to see if if they do that, obviously in the semifinals, when they when they're up against a a stronger team, better opposition, um, or whether they maybe go a little bit more conservative obviously they will play um egypt in the, in the semi-final so yep. that is a step up in quality from uh the gambia with respect to to the gambia
1: that's going to be a cracking game that's on thursday graham cameron against egypt we've got an egypt side facing we're going to talk about them shortly but they ostensibly have the best player in the world they've had a really tough path yep. coming along here um this is this is the biggest test for Cameroon, possibly the biggest test they're going to face in this
2: tournament Absolutely. And I think that, that match has uh, I mean there's been a few there's been a few blockbuster games so far, obviously the Ivory Coast um was it Ivory Coast Nigeria? I, f- I forget yeah. actually from the group stage. Yeah, Ivory Coast Nigeria, that's right. That that one wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be, but those you can get those games in the group stages, obviously stating the obvious, there has to be a winner from a semi final. So I, I'm expecting some fireworks from, from that one. Obviously Egypt. We'll speak a little bit more about Egypt later on, but as you say, they've got Mo Salah and then you've got the host nation, so it's, a, it's an interesting matchup, certainly.
1: Indeed. Uh, Graham, after this very short break, let's have a little chat about Bikina Faso, who are also going through to the final four. More on that shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit
3: card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking AFCON quarterfinals. Next game up, Burkina Faso 1, Tunisia 0 in the wonderful open-air stadium, the Rundi Adja Stadium in Garoua. Graham, 19-year-old Dango Utara, one of three Utaras in Burkina Faso's lineup, uh, getting the goal just before the half here, uh, got it on the break. Um, he didn't see out the game. They got us uh, a, 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 uh, an upgraded yellow card to red card via VAR, yeah. which we've seen a few times in this tournament already. Um, we had a calf moment, Graham, in the press conference before this game, uh, apparently, according to reports, just before this press conference was about to start. A person got on stage, grabbed the microphone and all the cables, and... And ran away it turned out that uh the CAF organized committee uh had rented the equipment and not paid for it so wonderful times ahead of this game i
2: had not heard that yeah. <laughs> what, what yeah. a
1: story that is pretty good right pretty good yeah so that was uh, that, that set the tone perhaps for this one Graham uh, a little, on a more of a serious note um, Burkina Faso are playing this against the backdrop of a military coup which is taking place mm. in Burkina Faso at the moment um, looking at the AP story here uh, it says mutinous soldiers in Burkina Faso forced Democratic elected President uh, Rockmark Christian Kabore to resign in the past week announcing they're now in charge of the West African country that's under siege by Islamic extremists now FIFA are very keen not to mix politics and soccer Graham. but sometimes these things do overlap and we have um despite the circumstances a surprise win for Burkina Faso is that what we're titling this as
2: yes I think so I mean (laughs) I I guess the 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 first thing to mention is that Burkina Faso are are very consistent when it comes to AFCON so maybe they're maybe not the first country you would think of um when asked who the heavyweight nations are in African soccer but Mm. They have reached the. They've now reached the semi-finals of Afcon three times in the last nine years. They reached the final in 2013. That was their best ever result in this tournament. So there is this sense that Burkina Faso are. They've been building and building for years towards taking the final step in this tournament. I'm not sure if many predicted that this would be the tournament where they where they do that. But there's clearly. Something about this, 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 the setup, this group of players, the the national association. You know, it's it's working. You know, they are getting results at Afcon, so maybe not too much of a surprise. And I, and I think this setup, this matchup, sorry, did suit them. Tunisia um, had more of the ball in this game, but I felt that played into Burkina Faso's hands in terms of their tactical setup. Um, They played in a 4-2-3-1 shape that became a 4-3-3 or a a 4-5-1 even, depending on the scenario. And I thought they just did an excellent job of soaking up the Tunisian pressure and then hitting out on on the break. And obviously Mm. they they did this for the only goal of the game with uh, Otara released through. um, He kind of makes a run down the right. The the ball is, is played through for him. He then shows incredible composure to... He has two, possibly three opposition defenders around him in the box it looks like they've caught up with him but he then cuts back gives himself a a yard or two to get the shot away he he then finishes and um, it it happened again with Bayala who might have scored a second in in a similar sort of um, he doesn't cut back in the same way but he gets the shot away quite quickly after a counter attack he might have scored a second in, in a similar situation so the the matchup with Tunisia was was a, a kind one for Burkina Faso, and they were able to play their um, favoured game, and they get the the first goal as well is obviously crucial because then that allows them just to kind of sit back a little bit more, absorb even more pressure, and have even more space to hit out in the counter attack. So, um, maybe the, the 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 coup and the circumstances of that are, have not been ideal, but in terms of the the, the football side of things, this was a, a good game for them to have a good team for them to play.
1: Yeah, definitely so, Graham. And forgive me if this is a strange comparison, but I was getting Peak Lester vibes from Burkina Faso in some ways here, okay. looking very well organised at the back and basically just absolutely snapping on the break, looking really phenomenal on the break. And you could, I, I'm, I'm pitching Sangare as being like the Mares role in that Peak Lester yeah. side as well.
2: Do, do you see where I'm coming from with that comparison? No, ab- absolutely. And I think one of the the, the things that was most impressive about Burkina Faso in this was the. The sharpness of their decision making. So yes, they, they had 39% of possession. Yes, they had, um, I think, fewer shots on target than Tunisia. But when they had the opportunity to create something, they were making the right decisions and they were making them very quickly. So that that is a, a very Leicester City-esque trait. I agree with you there. Very good,
1: yeah. Um, and, any players you want to call out on Bikina Faso, Graham? Anyone catch your eye? I thought Sangari was excellent. I think he, he got um, who scored highest highest uh, mm-hmm. uh, score as well. And um, <laughs> at least one of the Otaros performed well here. The one who got the red card <laughs> probably was the best one.
2: Yeah, as as you say, there's a there's a number of uh, Otara's three started in this match, but really in terms of this game, one only uh, that's that's notable, given that it was the it was the same Otara that scored and got sent off. But a, a, a player that really impressed me in this game and has impressed me in the tournament as a whole has been uh, Edmund uh, Tapsoba, um, and I think it's probably about time we mentioned him. So he he's been excellent for Burkina Faso. Um, he in many ways, as in terms of his attributes, he's the perfect modern centre back. So he has the the physicality that you'd want from a centre back, but he's good in the ball as well. He can pass, he can play a, sh- a short ball, he can play a long ball. He's very composed. He has a, a a turn of pace as well. He can carry the ball up the pitch, and we saw a lot of that from him in this game. At moments when Burkina Faso just needed someone to relieve the pressure a little bit, he would take the ball and he would he would um, you know dribble it. 20 30 yards up the pitch play a pass looks very simple but is, is very effective and he kept on doing that time and time again mm. and I think it's very easy to see why Premier League teams have been linked with him in the past Arsenal most notably they wanted him before I think they wanted him to be the player that they eventually signed Ben White to be because I can see similarities in, in the way that they play the game particularly mm. in how they are very technical on the ball and um you know, no disrespect to to Bayer Leverkusen, who are obviously a big club in their own right. You know, a, a big uh, Bundesliga superpower. But it wouldn't surprise me to see Tapsoba take the next step soon in his career to one of the one of the super clubs, either one of the, the the top clubs in England or or even one of the big clubs in Spain or something like that. Um, or 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 Bayern Munich. I guess that's how it goes for uh, impressive Bundesliga players who are not playing for Bayern Munich. He's he's a player that. I'm a big fan of, and um, yeah, we should probably have mentioned him before now because he's had a, an excellent tournament.
1: Definitely so. Uh, An excellent tournament, probably not had, Graham, by Tunisia overall, I would argue. Um, In this game, as we say, uh, they were allowed to have as much of the ball that they wanted and didn't do much with it, I would argue. I mean, Khazri looked pretty good, um, had at least one good free-kick attempt, I can recall from this one. Um, But this team, this Tunisia team, they finished third in their group. Uh, They were beaten by the Gambia in in their group. Uh, They ousted Mm. Nigeria at Round of 16, but maybe that says more about Nigeria than it does about Tunisia at this point. I think... I don't know why, Graham, but I expected a little more from Tunisia here.
2: The thing that that kept on happening for Tunisia in this game was their attackers, in particular Casir um, and Chaziri, just kept on getting in each other's way. Um, <laughs> so it was almost like they, you know, the the two of them were absolutely desperate to to score the goal that either equalizes or puts Tunisia ahead, depending on what the scoreline was at the time and just as I say just kept on getting in each other's way and there was no occasion there at all they both were treading on, on each other's toes when they got into the box it was all very panicked um, absolutely no composure from them at all and very very different to Burkino Faso who anytime as I say anytime they did have an opportunity there was just a calmness but equally a sharpness about what they were doing and there was just none of that in Tunisia's play I'll tell
1: you what Graham this wasn't The most entertaining quarterfinal of the weekend, in my view, but it did have the most entertaining character. The referee, uh, Joshua (laughs) Bondo from Botswana, here. I don't know if you caught this, Graham. I, I'm going to call him the African Mike Dean because he was hamming it up like crazy. When he went to take um, look at the VAR for for an early challenge, he sort of was laughing as he was running over to the monitor and a big beaming smile on his face. He was smiling when he gave out the a red card as well. It was like he was there for the drama. I was there for it, Graham. Did you catch him? Uh, I didn't actually, but <laughs> at,
2: at least at least someone's having a good time. I'll take your word for it. I, 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 it um, must have just been something I'd missed, but yeah, the the... The the Afcon Mike Dean is quite a billing, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, I'll be interested to see if he gets any more matches.
1: Whether that's a desirable desirable billing or not, Graham, we shall see. But uh, Burkina Faso moving on. Uh, they've got Senegal coming up. Uh, spoiler alert for the next game we're going to talk about. Uh, but uh, yeah, Senegal coming up
2: uh, on Wednesday.
1: That's that sounds like a pretty tasty semi to me, Graham. How do you feel about that?
2: Yep, I think both uh, both matchups in in the semi finals are are going to be. Very interesting. I know Senegal, who will speak about a little bit more. They've conceded their first goal of of the tournament now. Shock horror. Um, but I do think that defensive foundation is is so valuable in knockout football. And and I do wonder how Burkino Faso, given everything we've just said about them, they are a counter attacking side. They will invite pressure on top of themselves. I'm not sure if Senegal will play into their hands in the same way that Tunisia did. So. Mm. That might be a a trickier, not just in terms of the individual quality, because obviously Senegal have loads of excellent players, but just in terms of the tactical matchup, that might be a slightly more difficult one for them.
1: Before we talk about Senegal, Senegal, Graham, why don't we talk about uh, the first of the Sunday games we're going to uh, discuss here. Egypt 2, Morocco 1, uh, Egypt going through after extra time. Aston Villa's Trezeguet getting the winner in extra time, uh, with goals also from Sofian Boufal and Mo Salah in, re- in regulation time. There's a comeback win as well for Carlos Quiris' Egypt here, and I would say a deserved win too. This one, Graham, you might have seen it build as a blockbuster as much as you can here, but... It- I, I didn't feel like it was a classic game. Maybe I wasn't in the right mood for this one. Uh, it looked like it was getting a bit tasty, a bit hot-tempered at some points. But uh, for me, Morocco just were not it in this, in this game, Graham.
2: Yeah, I mean, Morocco played played well at this tournament generally. um not just talking about this matches. they played well at this tournament. I, I generally like their approach, but I think we saw some of the limitations of their approach in this match. You know, while... Um, sorry, when Egypt were absorbing the, the running of uh, Hakimi, who he, he didn't really, he wasn't able to do much other than with the exception of winning the penalty in the first half. And which, so when you, you stop his running and you stop the supply line into Enruseri, Morocco just didn't have a creator who could make something happen. And it did make me wonder whether uh, Hakim Ziyech. Might have been a good figure to have in this situation. I understand you maybe don't want him to get in Hakimi's way by playing on the right on the right wing, but as an option off the bench to produce something, maybe as a a central creator to maybe get Morocco up the pitch and and hold the ball in in attacking positions, which they didn't do in this game. Yeah, I uh, I maybe would have had him in my squad. I have to say, um, and obviously. Egypt had that sort of player in the form of Mo Salah. Obviously, yeah. um, he ends up making the difference in this match and he's just that, that, that attacking creator, which is the role that he's been playing. I think we're going to speak a little bit more about Mo Salah and the role he's been playing for Egypt. He's been playing more as a creator than a finisher for Egypt and Morocco just didn't have that player.
1: Yeah. And to, to jump back to Ziyech, Graham. Would it not be beneficial to have him and Hakimi on that same flank? I feel like Ziyech would be a, a quite a good creative outlet in this team regardless.
2: Yeah, my my theory with uh, Ziyech on the right side is just because Hakimi is so mobile and he gets up and down that right flank, you maybe don't want to congest that side of the pitch too much. So that's, that's my thinking with I can understand maybe not wanting to play Ziyech on the right wing, which is obviously his preferred position where he tends to play most often. But Ziyech is Ziyech's a player who I remember watching him for Ajax as in, a, in a central position. Or even if you put him on paper on the right side, but ask him to drip, to, to cut inside and, and free up that space for Hakimi, it feels like he, he should have been in the squad, even as an option. Yeah. Even if Morocco don't want him in the first team, in a game like this where it's not working, to have him coming off the bench and give you something a little bit different, surely would have been a benefit than having him watching this game from home.
1: Yeah, but that, that 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 was a problem for me. Zeke not being there, but just Morocco in general just seemed like a bit dishevelled, a bit disorganised in this one. Particularly in defence, it just seemed like they were just not at the right level in this game. In in my opinion, so I was pretty pretty disappointed by their output here, Graham. I'm I don't know. I just I just thought they'd be more competitive. I don't know how to um, to, to articulate that anymore. But full credit to to Egypt um, who. You know, you could say like they started this tournament poorly, struggling for goals, um, despite having mm-hmm. Mozilla providing um, as he has been. But here, as you say, Graham, more than ever, he's been the difference maker. You can you can kind of tell his teammates aren't Liverpool players. Um, maybe they don't read his intentions quite as much as Liverpool players would. and He, he maybe takes a little more on um, when he's on mm-hmm. a gym duty. But he, he definitely is the linchpin here, isn't he?
2: Yeah, so it, it was obvious before the start of the tournament that Salah would be a key figure for Egypt at AFCON, as you said um, before, he's, he's arguably the best player in the world right now. So that was that was natural, that was always going to be the case. But there's there's a little bit more nuance to it than just good player playing well. Um, it's been interesting over the course of the tournament to see how Carlos Queiroz, the Egypt manager. He has changed the way he's using Salah. So in the first game, Egypt played at AFCON, which was a, a 1-0 defeat to Nigeria. They used Salah through the middle. They wanted him to be the goal scorer, to be the focal point of the attack because he's their best player and he's also their best finisher as well. You know, you look at the, his goal scoring record for Liverpool, it's, it's, it's astonishing. So I could understand the logic there, but it didn't really work. He was kind of isolated. Um, You said you said something in your lead in there about his teammates aren't Liverpool players and you could see that when he was playing as a centre forward, he just didn't have the supply lines. There wasn't the relationships with the players around him. So Quiris has instead looked to kind of harness Salah as a as a provider he's been much more involved in the build-up play he's been less concerned with being the one who puts the ball in the back of the net although he's still getting those chances obviously scores in this game um, but we saw for the second goal where he previously might have cut that inside onto his onto his left foot we see him in that position all the time for Liverpool on the right and the right side of the box. What does he do in that position for Liverpool? He cuts it back onto his left side. He gets a shot away at goal. Mm. Um, Instead, he takes this one on his right foot. He plays a pass to the back post for Trezeguet to finish into the empty net. And I think that was a, a nice microcosm of how Salah is a slightly different player now for Egypt um, than he is for Liverpool. And even from when it, the, the start of the tournament where he was playing a different, uh, a different position, just generally he's get, getting around the pitch a lot more than at the start of the tournament. He's helping out defensively. He's very much the, the leader in this team. And I think it, it's been very interesting to see that that shift uh, in almost every game that Egypt have played. Definitely so. Um, Graham, there was a moment at the end of this game when
1: it nearly went 3-1 um, to Egypt. There was like a, a Morocco-free kick on the edge of the area what was that about what happened so we had this awful free <laughs> kick um and then it, it the, the free. i don't know what it was like a what would a, a worm burner is that what taylor would call that i don't know what yeah, you call it. it didn't burner, burn any yeah. worms that's for sure um, but it didn't it didn't get past the wall and then egypt had this opportunity to break where there was the, the goalkeeper the morocco goalkeeper was up in the box it was the last few minutes of extra time here so most Salahs on the break with no goalkeeper in sight I think he passed it out wide and then the ball passed back to him is completely over here and Salah can't get to it in time. That whole run of playground from Morocco and Egypt was just embarrassing.
2: Yeah, the, the, the Egypt the Egypt miss is terrible in itself. I mean, Egypt had a three-on-one with a whole half to run into and <laughs> Mo Salah was one of those three players and they somehow didn't f- uh, finish into the empty net. But the the, the, the Morocco free kick was honestly one of the most baffling things I think I've ever seen in a yeah. match where everyone is in the box for this last free kick into the area, the goalkeeper is up in the box, and then Morocco play a short free kick to the edge of the box, yeah. they get caught in possession, and then Egypt are away. It was it was bizarre, it was bizarre. And it, it tw- my Twitter timeline was quite funny at that moment, it was just basically everyone just shouting, what was that about in Morocco, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, truly, truly bizarre moment. That was the moment we realized they deserved
1: to go out, Graham, I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I just I think I've just tapped into why I didn't enjoy this game as much, Graham. I think okay. whenever they did a close up of Munir, um I got lost in his eyes and it took me out of the game for t- <laughs> 20 or 30 minutes. Maybe that was it.
2: Uh, He does have good eyes, actually. I haven't haven't thought about that before, but yeah, you're right.
1: He's a very handsome man. And now we can take it back to Spain, I guess, because he is done uh, in Africa for now. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to come back to, I think, my favourite of the quarterfinals, Graham, Senegal against Equatorial Guinea, coming right up.
3: FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right
1: Total Soccer Show, we are talking AFCON quarterfinals. Graham, Senegal 3, Equatorial Guinea 1. This one, for me, of the Sunday games was much higher quality than Egypt-Morocco, about which we just spoke. Uh, Famao Deju uh, getting uh, Senegal's first goal, then uh, substitutes, impact subs, Cheku Kayate and Ismail Sarr uh, getting uh, the second and third goals for Senegal. Sadio uh, Mane was cleared fit for this one, Graham, after concussion. The concussion he suffered against Cape Verde but a few days ago. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Um, But they were dominant, uh, were Senegal with Mane. uh, Lots of power, lots of pace on the break. Um, After a pretty slow start, Graham, with only one goal in the group stage and getting over the line against Cape Verde, it seems like this Senegal team are getting into gear.
2: Yeah, I've I've spoken a lot about matchups um on on this show so far, and and talking about this matchup for Senegal, this had the potential to be a difficult one for them, as we, as we mentioned before, and as you mentioned, there is a team that doesn't score many goals or hadn't scored many goals before this game. They're they're primarily set up to be defensively sound, to be well organized. That midfield unit is very solid, not particularly creative. And, um, but th- this match, obviously, against Equatorial Guinea, who come in as the, as the underdogs in this game, this demanded that Senegal were, were going to have a lot of the ball. Uh, the onus was on Senegal to make things happen through that midfield, into the final third, with Equatorial Guinea being the one sitting back and playing on the counter. So it was it was clear from early on that Senegal were going to have to do something different to avoid ending up in a, in a, stand up, a standoff against a team that... Um, on talent, they're better than and, and they they should be able to blow away, and that's that's what they did. They did they did blow away Ectoogini, but this was very much a different Senegal to what we've seen in previous game. There was a lot more movement from Senegal in this match, which is something they needed. We saw this for the the opening goal when Manny gets in uh, in behind the, in between the lines, sorry, and then threads a good pass in behind for for one of the runners. Yeah. Uh, and there was a number of runners he could have played that pass to as well. You know, it wasn't just one runner. He had options in that in, in that final third. And time and time again, we saw Senegal sending players forward, which we hadn't really seen from them until now in the tournament. There were moments where it, at which it appeared Hector Guinea were being overwhelmed. Senegal were playing at a much quicker tempo. There was a lot of one-twos around the edge of the box was another key f- f- feature of their play that I was noticing. That kind of opened up space, created overloads, all that sort of thing. And it was in, in the first half in particular it was like watching a it was like watching a different team. it was a, it was mm. a different sort of Senegal. Obviously then at the start of the second half, Eguin step up a little bit, they grab the equalizer, but even from that moment on, Senegal just have the the strength and depth with the changes that they made off the bench that you referenced there. they ju- they just had another gear to go to and that's what they did in the final sort of 30 uh, 25 minutes when they get those two goals and um if they can carry this into into future matches this this game and this performance was enough to maybe convince me senegal are the best team at this tournament now that wow. this that I, I did feel like there was a significant shift up in terms of the gears they went from sort of second gear to, I would say, about fourth gear in this game. And it, and it feels like they could maybe even go another higher, another gear higher. So I was very impressed with what I saw from them.
1: I love the second to fourth gear jump. Get a load of revs up in second and just cruise into fourth. I, I, that's, a, that's a common move for me, Graham, and a common move for Senegal evidently as well. It, yeah, it, it did seem like they, they've upped their game. I like the trajectory that Senegal are on here, Graham, because... When you look at teams that have won major tournaments, there is often a pattern of starting slow. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, you know, when Spain, the amazing Spain team at the World Cup, they lost their first game, if I remember correctly. And you mm-hmm. know, they're warming up at the right time. And if there's someone at TSS who said they were going to win this thing, oh, I don't start. Can't remember. Don't start. Who it? Yeah. Okay. No, I um, can't remember either. Who but <laughs> Equatorial <laughs> Equator, Guinea here. This has been a tournament of upsets uh, or, or underdogs, I should say, Graham. Uh, and Equatorial Guinea, you know, they beat Algeria in the groups. They got past Mali in around 16. But here, if, if I'm to praise Senegal for upping their game, maybe it was the opposite for Equatorial Guinea here. They just looked like they were quite poor in defense. Like for the second and third goals, they were, you know, clearances weren't there. They were completely absent for the third goal, it seemed, uh, in the back. I, I was just a little
2: disappointed in Equatorial Guinea the individual errors at the back certainly didn't help them at all and the, the the defensive mix up is that for the second goal the coyote goal um where two extra players sort of clash for the same ball i think that's the Yeah, and they, goal don't, they, than they don't they don't bother goal. make
1: the clearance and let kiarty just come through and nick it up yeah. the keeper basically yeah.
2: Yeah, that that was obviously a a bad moment for them and there were there were a couple moments where Similar to the Tunisian attackers getting in each other's way, it felt like a lot of the Equatorial Guinea defenders were getting in each other's way as well. But I I do wonder if maybe that was a consequence of the of the situation and the fact that Senegal were sending so many players towards them. As I say, um, they were they were sending runners. In behind, they were opening up space between the Equatorial Guinea defence and midfield, so that they were kind of getting pushed and pulled in all sorts of different ways, and and so I can un- I can understand that that would have been quite a difficult situation to be in. But um, you know, I get what you're saying, Equatorial Guinea. At the start of the second half, I thought, here we go, we've got a game in our hands. You know, Equatorial Guinea just seemed to be a lot more adventurous in, a, in an attacking point of view. They obviously get the equaliser after fifty seven minutes. Um, Pablo Gannett gets the assist on that one. The player that I highlighted in our in our last pod is one of the the kind of standout performers of the tournament so far. But they they just failed to build on that, and, and maybe this is too simplistic a reading of it. But I just felt like they were be- they were beaten by a stronger team that had more options to bring off the yep. bench. Uh, Ectoro Guinea themselves made I think five changes in this game, but they obviously don't have the the quality that Senegal do, and I think that made the difference.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the right team won here. Uh, I don't think Equatorial Guinea can have too many complaints about the 3 1 outcome in the end. So, Graham, our semi finals are set for Wednesday and Thursday. Senegal against Burkina Faso and Cameroon against Egypt. So, Senegal, Burkina Faso, we've got Burkina Faso, as you mentioned, who do have pedigree in this tournament, getting to at least the semis in three of the last five AFCONs. Uh, they are playing, as we mentioned, despite a coup, a military coup happening in their own country at the moment. And they're coming up against this Senegal team who. As I mentioned, starting slowly, but really are beginning to show up here. I am going to stick with my guns and say Senegal will get through this one, but it's not going to be an easy contest.
2: Yeah, I think this will be a, a much easier, sorry, a much more difficult game for them than the, than the quarterfinal against Equatorial Guinea. Not as I say, not just because of the because of the you know, the quality of the team that they're facing. I think Burkina Faso are a better team, but just the the fact that Burkina Faso are more likely to sit deep and basically say to Senegal, right, okay, break us down. And we've seen previously in the tournament that maybe that's when Senegal aren't at their best. So I want them to be bold again in this match. Just like they were against Hector Guinea. they're not going to have the space that they had against Hector Guinea, but if they, if they send enough players forwards, enough quality players... If um, they get the ball to mani enough, and if Mane plays this similar role that he's been playing in the last few matches, where he's helping out a bit more defensively, quite similar to uh, to, to his club teammate, to be honest, Mohamed Salah, he's been asked to do a little bit more rather than just playing as a centre forward, which he did in, in the first game. If they continue to do that, I do think Senegal will have too much quality for Burkina Faso. But oh. I think both semi-finals are, are will be good quality matches between teams that could, you know all four teams could could make the final. I think.
1: They definitely could, and Cameroon-Egypt is the other one there. We do have the opportunity for Jurgen Klopp's worst nightmare, Senegal against Egypt, his two <laughs> uh, forward players, Mane and Salah, being kept out in Africa for the longest time possible. Um, in Egypt here, we've, we, as we mentioned, they, they had a tough path getting here. They've gone past Ivory Coast, past Morocco. If they're to get to the final, past Cameroon as well. That will be a, a, a juggernaut path for them to get through. But we have a Cameroon side who have massive home advantage here. They are trying to make history. I I think it's going to be a Senegal-Cameroon final here. So a semi-Jürgen Klopp nightmare. Only one of his main players staying until the end. How do you feel, Graham, But Cameroon-Egypt?
2: Yeah, I think if we're giving Senegal credit for growing into the tournament, which they clearly have, I agree with that, I think we also have to give Egypt credit for that as well because after watching their first game, I really wasn't sure they were going to make it this far in, in the tournament. But they have grown with every game they've played. They're getting the best out of Salah now, which was obviously going to be key for them at this tournament. And that immediately gives them a chance of going all the way. If, you, if you're if you getting the best out of the best player in the world, uh, you've got a chance in every game that, that you're playing. So I, I, I this is a difficult one to call. I think Cameroon, obviously, they're the tournament's top goal scorers. They have that formidable duo in Akambi and Abubakar. They're obviously the hosts, um, so they kind of have the home advantage as well. Uh, i'm edging towards cameron but it wouldn't surprise me if this game was to go all the way meaning to extra time and penalties i think this tournament has one more penalty shootout left in it and i think it could be in this game
1: Ah, it's been quite a lot of penalty shootouts. i believe the status has been 20 penalties from open play as well graham that seems quite high
2: yeah the referees have been busy at this tournament (laughs) shall we say i think it's maybe 15 red cards in this tournament what did you say there are 20 penalties i believe it's 20 penalties Then all those penalty shootouts as well—they're blown up for full time early in matches. Yeah, it's been—it's been quite a, a tournament for the Whistlers.
1: An official for the Whistlers—an officials tournament. I like that very much. Um, yeah, maybe Jurgen Klopp doesn't like it very much, but we shall see about this one. These are semi-finals on Wednesday and Thursday. Graham, it's not as if there's any other pertinent, you know, World Cup qualifiers or anything happening on that time period. So no. people should focus on this,
2: right? yeah yeah n- n- nothing at all yeah there's 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 no uh must win games for a certain uh, north american nation on that day or anything no
1: indeed well total soccer show will be focusing on that game in question and we're going to come back and talk about these games and the final uh of Af- uh, the africa cup of nations which is taking place on sunday this coming sunday but for now graham ruthven thank you very much for once again joining me uh to go through the african jamboree of the africa cup of nations thank you sir
2: no problem at all it's uh, it's always fun and I'm excited that we've got these these big games to look forward to as well I think once you get to the semi-finals and then obviously the final after that that's that's really exciting stuff and I just hope the games sometimes major tournaments they can slow down slightly towards the end and become a little bit tight and cagier I just hope that doesn't happen with this tournament because it's been a lot of fun so far
1: you and me both G you and me both and listener thank you very much for sticking with us for this one we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye bye